We're now firmly in the Green Sundays, and in this cycle of readings, year B, the Episcopal Church is on a three-year cycle of readings, and it's based on which gospel is the principal gospel that is read uh, in that particular cycle. So A is Matthew, B is Mark, and C is Luke. Since Mark is the shortest gospel, the uh, gospel according to St. John is often used to supplement the readings in year B. But we hear today from Mark two uh, important parables, fairly well known, about the seed growing secretly and about the parable of the mustard seed. Many years ago when I was the rector of Christ Church Sausalito, uh, in Sausalito, it's a small town, and they have two sort of maybe three houseboat communities. They've got the fancy schmancy posh houseboat community, and then they have Gate 5, where uh, I spent a lot of time, some interesting and uh, people down in, in Gate 5. But I remembered when I was there, remember when I was there, there was a, a number of people who were quite taken with a guru by the name of Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, who wrote a book called The Mustard Seed. And it was an extended uh, peroration on the gospel according to St. Thomas, which is not a canonical gospel, but, you, but has had an enormous amount of play in uh, conversations about the Holy Scriptures and what's in and what's out and so forth. And some biblical scholars do believe, though, that in the Gospel of Thomas, um, the parable of the mustard seed, as it is spoken, may represent a more primitive tradition of the, the you know, uh, preservation of that saying than what is in the canonical Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But what I'm going to do this morning is to speak a little bit generally about Mark, about the way we interpret the parables of Jesus and why it's important to understand that and to say some things then specifically uh, about uh, what it is we do to appropriate this. What are some of the ways we can do it? Um, Mark is the, old, is the uh, earliest gospel. Uh, most biblical scholars believe it was written between 65 and 62 and 65 A.D. and completed or finished in Rome, its audience principally was Jewish Christians. Remember, Christianity began as a sect of Judaism. And so the parables that Jesus speaks in all of these are going to have some application uh, to the situation on the ground. Before I speak about the ways of interpreting the parable, once again, Father Brewer's breathless tour of the two-source theory, or the synoptic theory. Mark is the earliest gospel. Matthew and Luke had a copy of Mark's gospel to write their gospel. Matthew and Luke have special material of their own, called Special M for Matthew and Special L for Luke. And then Matthew and Luke also have another source which may be written or oral that biblical scholars refer to as Q, which stands for a German word, 
quella, which means source. So that's how we arrive where we are. There's still some very interesting books that have been written recently about the priority of Matthew. And uh, the, the, the actual truth in all probability is this. Matthew is listed first in the New Testament because it's the longest of the Gospels. So, you know, just like we have minor prophets and major prophets in the Hebrew Bible, and a major prophet has a big book, and a minor prophet has a little book. Does the major prophet stuff more important and more authoritative than the minor prophet? No. The major prophet merely has a big book. So Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah are major prophets. And Obadiah and you know Hosea and Amos and so on are minor prophets because they have a little book. So whenever we interpret the parables of Jesus, we have to think about them in three ways. What did Jesus mean when he spoke the parable? What did the church mean when it preserved the parable in the biblical witness? And what do we mean in our interpretive processes when we read the parable and see if it has application in our own time? That's the history or the tradition of interpretation. So if we take these two parables, let's see how we do in this regard. The first parable is about uh, a seed that is planted by a farmer. These are both agricultural parables. He doesn't know, have any idea about the processes of how this seed becomes uh, a wheat. He just knows that he plants it he doesn't know how, but all, he sees the progress of the growth. First the stalk, then the hair, you know, everything, and finally it's time for the harvest. When Jesus spoke this parable, he was speaking about his own ministry and how those around him were instructed by him to uh, do their missionary work in the world. So here's the reality. Jesus, when he began his work and commissioned the missionaries to go out two by two, returned without much success. It was a bust. It was an inauspicious beginning. And Jesus needed now to think about a plan B. Go to Jerusalem and confront the religious authorities. But in his teaching to his disciples, he is speaking to them about small beginnings produce big results. So when the, the community of Mark's gospel takes this over, they too are facing a circumstance on the ground now some 30 years later. And that is that the community they had thought this message of Jesus was intended for, the Jews, have been reluctant to accept it, to accept the Messiahship of Jesus. But the Gentiles have not. And the Gentiles have uh, found this message compelling. And so the struggle of the community becomes, how do we now incorporate people that we had thought 
uh, were not the ones that were the recipient of this message. A few weeks ago, in Greek, the word for Gentile is ethne. It means those people. So those people now wish to accept this message. And how do we understand it? And how do we understand the growth of the spread of the message? It's like the seed that has been planted. And what we discover by this process is we don't know how it occurs, but somehow now it comes to fruition. Now, on one level, when we take the ter- the, the, this parable personally, we think, uh, think about whatever seeds you've got planted in your life right now and how they're going to come to fruition. What are some of the things... Uh, that you're working on? How do you think they're going to turn out? Is God's grace and love at work in these processes? And how do we think about them? And what we discover is is that you and I sometimes uh, can't prejudge the process. It happens. And we have to be able to see just exactly how that is so uh, as time goes on. So that's the parable of the seed that um, is planted and we don't know. The parable of the mustard seed is about this little seed that's the smallest of all seeds in the story. And it becomes the largest shrub. And it provides shade, shelter to the birds. It is a place of refuge and cool. And think about in the ancient Near East uh, how nice that would be. And it really is about God's inclusive embrace and how God provides shelter uh, for all of us. So for Jesus, he speaks now about small things, uh, inauspicious beginnings, begin produce big fruit. And Mark's church is going to say the work of the church has an inauspicious beginning, but it too will bear fruit. And you and I might think about that in our own lives in the same way. In the Episcopal Church in the last several years, there have been some themes that have been important uh, in our common understanding about the vocation of the church. And you hear me say all the time that our work as Christian people is not to cultivate or develop a particular uh, uh, religious vocabulary that we can then speak to other people about as being the central reason for why we practice Christianity. It's learning how to be the best human being that we can be and taking the values of the church and bring them to the world in a way that commends our place of greatest safety and assurance, maybe underneath that mustard tree. And here are the themes that are important. Authenticity, hospitality, mutuality, companion, compassion, and mercy. And I got to thinking when I wrote this sermon, uh, the word authenticity kind of sounds, sounds like a buzzword. A lot of people talk about what does it mean to be authentic and how do we understand authenticity in our day and time. So here's a definition of authenticity that I'll commend to you. Authenticity is the degree to which one is true to one's own personality, spirit, or character 
despite external pressures. The conscious self is seen as coming to terms with being in a material world and with encountering external forces, pressures, and influences which are very different from and other than itself. A lack of authenticity is considered to be bad faith. So what that means is that in some way you and I have to see that the processes of God are at work within us just like the seed planted in the ground and we don't know just exactly how that's going to turn out but as we seek to live with some integrity and character we begin to mature in the spirit and we begin to see more deeply and fully God's purposes for us. Remember, a definition of character is living your life according to certain principles and how that affects uh, your authenticity. Hospitality is another word for the cultivation of the generous impulse, both within the human person and in the community of faith we call the church. I've said to you many times, some years ago, there was a program on PBS with Bill Moyers and Dr. Houston Smith, who is a, uh, a renowned world expert on the great faith traditions. And Bill Moyers asked him how you would know if you were making any spiritual progress. And Dr. Smith said, in all of the great faith traditions, the infallible test for discovering whether or not you have made any progress is a perception within yourself that you have, there has been an increase in generosity. And what that means is not merely with your, with your stuff, but with the way in which you uh, treat other people the way in which you in some way are willing to extend, the way in which you understand uh, more deeply and fully how you should move beyond yourself. I spoke about this last week. In anthropology, there's something called kinship altruism, which is the fundamental location uh, in the world among human beings for the expression of generosity toward our kinship group, the family. So most of the energy and time and talent and treasure is given towards the nurture and the development of the kinship group. And doing that successfully for the most is the way in which society flourishes. So the message and teaching of Jesus has to do with understanding that what it is we have learned how to do in our kinship group, we now express beyond it. So the same care, concern, and generosity that you have for the members of your family should now be expressed within our common life together. not some form of dog-eat-dog -dog social Darwinism. 
And this comes, of course, to the third one of, the, one of the, these uh, themes, and that is mutuality, to understand that somehow there is a reciprocal uh, connection between all of us, and it is shared by our willingness to extend through sharing our practical wisdom with other people and being willing to listen to the practical wisdom that they have to commend to you. How do we learn how to be a better human being? and to understand the importance of the sources for that. And finally, Christian people need to be concerned about compassion and mercy. All of this is part of a developmental process. The reason I'm preaching about this with regard to the parable of the seed that grows and you don't know how, and the parable of the mustard seeds from small beginnings, great things come, is that's precisely how our Christian character is built and developed over time. So part of this has to do then with how do we grow into who we already are, made in the image and likeness of God. These parables also say, you know, you may get yourself in a situation where things aren't as successful as you might wish. You're going through a bad patch. And we have to know that it's not important uh, that we absolutely know when we're going to get out the other end. That's done often in God's own time. I had a parishioner in Sausalito. I'm talking a lot about Sausalito today. But uh, at one time, he was the youngest city manager in the United States. He managed Katati when he was 28 years old. And then he went to work for Governor Jerry Brown when Jerry Brown was the governor the first time. And uh, he lived in Sausalito, and he and I uh, started a uh, nonprofit community development corporation. And we were beginning to do some work uh, in that regard and talking about things. And one day, I don't know, I was saying something, worried, nervous, and anxious, something I hardly ever am. <laughs> and I said uh, something to Bob, and he said, you know, David, you have to be careful not to prejudge the process. You have to be careful not to prejudge the process. The farmer in the first parable didn't know how to prejudge the process, so maybe he was better off. But what it really means is leave the seed alone and don't say open, 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 you know, like the Mervyn's ad, a woman standing at the open, 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 you know. It's going to happen in its, its own time. So you and I might be uh, best advised not to prejudge the process. This week, think about uh, the way you express your authenticity and integrity in the world. Uh, how is the generous impulse at work in your life? Can you see it? Uh, and is it different than it used to be? And how can you listen to the practical wisdom from other people? And also be willing and able to share with others uh, the practical wisdom. Everybody in this church has something to share that's going to improve the way in which other people think about how they can function in the world. I just know that. And finally, remember compassion and mercy. We must be merciful because God is merciful. And last week I talked about God's judgment and God's mercy.
And whenever God's judgment and God's mercy collide, God's mercy trumps God's judgment. And so you and I in our interaction one with another need to remember that God unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives us. And you and I need to learn how to labor uh, to make that so in our human relationships. And in some ways, that's what these parables are about for us. Amen.